Hello, my friends. When I was a kid, I lived on a racehorse ranch. Well, kind of racehorses. We lived near my grandfather, and he raised racehorses and cutting horses. He and my uncles, two of his younger sons, would train these horses to an incredible degree of mastery. As cutting horses, they were famously good. As racehorses, they were famously fast. And I became a famously bad rider. It's not because I wasn't intelligent enough to ride. It's because those horses were worth more than I was. And so I got to help feed them, make sure they were healthy, and make sure they were warm and dry, and the trough was filled. But I never got to ride them. We begged my dad, please let us have a horse. Please get us a horse. We have plenty of room. We have all this property. We have area that we share with Grandpa. Can't we have a horse? Finally, he agreed to get us a really cheap one. A friend of ours was selling a horse. It alarmed me a little bit when I watched her demonstrate the skill and gentleness of her horse. She got up, and that horse immediately tried to buck her off. My friend reached down and bit the ear of the horse when the horse turned to bite her leg. I wasn't sure that was the right horse, but she was cheap, and that's the one we got. We took her home, and my cousin immediately named her Glue Horse. He was absolutely certain that the glue factory is where that horse would end up. Now, I hate to break this to you, but if you didn't know, that's where a lot of horses end up. When they have lived out their usefulness or been butchered for some reason, their hooves are often used as an ingredient in making glue. So we called her Glue Horse. She would put herself in a stall in the barn lay down on the floor, and back her back up to the corner of the stall. So she was just kind of curled down in the bottom back corner as far away from any interference as she could get. And then she would lay there with a look of contempt on her face. I'm sure that she had watched some TV shows that had a lot of violence in them or something like that. She was just a cantankerous old mare. If you wanted to ride Glue Horse, as we sometimes did, you had to pry her out of her spot. You could get a two-by-four or something, and you could whack her with it, or you could stick it behind her back and push against it and try and use leverage to get her out. You might, if you were really lucky, get a halter on her head and pull on her that way. But it was really a chore to get her out of her space. Once you got her out and tried to saddle her up, she'd try to bite you. There was a lot of stuff that she would do to try and make sure that you were not going to ride her that day. And then you would climb into the saddle, move your legs out of the way so she couldn't bite you, and finally kick her into maybe a fast walk. If you really kicked at her pretty hard and clucked your tongue a little bit and maybe smacked her on the behind, you could get her into a trot. But it was sort of an angry, jolting, stiff-legged trot. Sometimes. If you got her to gallop accidentally, she would forget, and she would enjoy that, too. Eventually, she would get tired, and by eventually, I mean really fast, and you'd bring her back to the barn. The trick there was to hold her down to get back slow enough. If she thought she was going back to her comfortable place in the corner, she would really try and get away from you. We'd take off the saddle, take off the halter, give her a breast down, make sure she had some good water to drink, and put her back in her hole. 
So why am I telling you about glue horse? If people are really like horses, some are angry, some are reluctant, some are stubborn, some think they're funny. Some are all seriousness, they're all business and they like to work really hard. Some like to work hard and play hard. Some just want to goof off all the time. Some are given to moments of depression and lethargy and then bursts of speed, bursts of intellect, bursts of ideas or beautiful creative output. Glue Horse was very much like all of us are at one time or another. Glue Horse reminded me of me, but not in the way you might think. I'm not lazy or angry. I don't sit in the corner hoping nobody will bother me. But I do tend to like getting comfortable. The one person who is interested in my discomfort for my sake the one person who knows that if I can be gotten out of my too comfortable spot and into a little bit more challenging situation, that I will thrive and love it and grow and move forward and enjoy the freedom, is God. God knows sometimes that we get too comfortable. We can get too comfortable financially. We can get too comfortable with the shape we're in or not in, physically. We can get comfortable with our underperformance, with our living beneath our privileges, beneath our abilities, beneath our capability to love and serve and make a difference in the world. Being comfortable is usually not helpful. If you want to watch an athlete who's really, really good, you'll see somebody uncomfortable. A star athlete is willing to go out and do things that are very, very uncomfortable in order to achieve something that's worth the discomfort. The same is true in business, in scholastic achievement, and in the arts. Do you know how many hours a day a concert pianist has to practice? Do you know how hard it is to study ballet for half your life and then continue to push through pain and agony and distress and additional work, and additional discomfort, and additional study, and additional effort, until your body finally says, okay, end of your ballet career, and so on. We tend to get spiritually comfortable, probably more than in any other area. When we think we're just doing dandy, and we don't want to try too hard to learn more, to understand more, to feel more, to pray more, to think more, We can get pretty comfortable, and it's really kind of nice. It's sort of the spiritual equivalent of eating ice cream all the time and expecting to be healthy. It feels really good for a few weeks, and then you kind of go downhill fast. Nothing is more damaging, and over nothing is God more concerned than our spiritual comfort. He wants to lead us to places we never thought we could go. He wants us to see beautiful vistas from atop a mountain we never believed we could climb. In fact, not only do we not believe we can climb some of those mountains, but we don't even think of it. We don't even allow it to stay in our minds. That would be too hard. I'll never be that kind of person. I'll never be like so-and-so whom I admire because I just just can't do that. Who says you can't do that? You. 
You're on earth to do something. You're here to do something that matters. You're going to have to get uncomfortable. There will probably be times in your life when you feel like things were just going the way you wanted them to go, when finally your career was on the track you wanted, you were making enough money to be comfortable, you were doing well in your relationship, you were able to take your kids to Disneyland, you were able to do this and that and whatever it is you thought was the barometer or the indicator for your level of achievement and future bliss. A loving God is prone to take you out of that place of comfort, even if he has to pry you out. When we get pried out of a comfortable place, it very often looks and feels like pain. It feels like disaster. It feels like everything collapsed, and we say, why would this happen? If there is a God, why would a loving God allow me to lose my job, be betrayed by a friend, be left by my spouse, be hurt in this way, develop this sickness. Why would a God who loved me do that? I'll tell you why. Because when we get comfortable, he wants us to become what we're capable of becoming, and only he knows. When we get comfortable, he knows that we will be prone to feed in green pastures, but we'll feed on only junk food. We will wait for external forces or for God himself to give us a life of luxury and ease and eternal bliss, not knowing that none of those come from perpetual comfort. Our willingness to be uncomfortable for a while and trust that he knows what he's doing is part of our success. If you want to guarantee that your life will be rich and full and worthwhile, that you will be happy, that you will have deep, lasting, meaningful experiences, that you'll have friendships that, that will last for eternity. If you want that, it will require you to change. Changing will require discomfort. The change and discomfort that will be given to you by a God who loves you. I've had experiences where I fell to my knees, asking why. Why did this thing happen? Why am I hurting so much? Why is this struggle now part of my life? I thought I had enough struggles already. Why am I going through this? Many of you have had experiences more difficult than mine. I know of friends and loved ones and coaching clients and others who have gotten to the point of saying, Is there a God? Is there any reason to live? Is there anything good remaining for me in this life? The answer, with all my heart, is yes, absolutely yes. We don't know sometimes that we are glue horse, sitting in a comfortable stall, completely unaware of what God has in store. The challenge then for us, the very epitome of exercising faith, is believing that what is to come will be better than what has passed. The guarantee to the faithful is that it will all be worth it. If you cast your mind back on experiences you've had in your life where you thought it was the end of the world and later learned it was the beginning of something better than you could have imagined, 
you will see them repeated over and over and over. That is a divine pattern. We get comfortable. We get pride out of our comfortable spot, often by our Creator. We go through something difficult that requires us to change. To make the change and survive the experience, we have to become stronger, more capable, more faithful, and different from what we were. As we become stronger, more faithful, and different, and our capability increases, we're given opportunities that were not available to us from that comfortable place. And with those opportunities, we develop friendships, experiences, memories, and triumphs that were unavailable to us before God changed who we were. He is the master educator, the great engineer, and knows how to change us. But we must trust him. What if our experiences or trials or challenges are brought upon us by our own action? What if we fall prey to addiction, to anger, to fear, to ingratitude? Remember I said he can change us if we're willing. If we choose to fight back, we're not willing. We will change, but for the worse. If we are willing to exercise faith, to try to move forward, to right the wrongs, to fix the things that we have broken in ourselves or in others, and to become more than what we were, success is the inevitable result. Happiness is the object and design of our existence and will be the end thereof if we pursue the path that leads to it. Happiness is what you want. Happiness for you is what God wants. Trust Him or don't. The first will bring lasting happiness. The second will bring discomfort of a whole different kind. If there's something in your life that you need to correct, start now and let God help you do it. If you have fallen prey to addiction, anger, spitefulness, rage, guilt, apathy, or any other negative emotion, find somebody that can help you. I know a guy. I'm looking at him in a camera. Find somebody that can help you. You can't become what you are to become if you hang on to those things. But God will make more of you than you can if you will allow it. Anger is hard. Achieving happiness is hard. Choose your heart. Addiction is hard. Freedom is hard. Choose your heart. You get to decide which direction you move once you get pride out of your comfortable spot. But if you will allow it, it will change your life. You will have experiences you could not have imagined before. Don't believe me? Sit down with a pen and paper and start writing about things that you thought were the end of the world and that became the beginning of something amazingly good. If you're honest with yourself, and if your eyes are open, you will find evidence piled upon evidence that that is the divine pattern. It has been in my life. It will be in your life. It has been the same in the lives of all who were genuinely happy. So let him help you. 
Let me help you. Turn to those you love and trust and let them help you. Life is meant to be good. In fact, as Gordon Hingley put it, life is meant to be enjoyed, not just endured. So enjoy it with me. We'll talk again soon.